0: All right, it's time for episode 49 of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and joining me today from New York is Ro Gupta, founder and CEO of Carmera. Carmera's mission is to automate cities by maintaining the world's most robust, real-time, street-level intelligence platform. It may sound like a massive undertaking, but Ro is used to tackling big problems head-on. As he puts it later in the episode, you can either master small problems early or go straight for the most complex. It's this kind of approach that I see time and time again from New York Founders who constantly hustle to overcome obstacles. And I'm so thrilled for you all to hear Ro's story. All right, well, Ro, thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm so excited to have another New York founder. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So let's talk about Carmira first and what the idea is.
1: The idea, I mean, actually, that's maybe that's a good way to think about. It. There's a whole whole history to the idea and um, how it evolved, but it actually hasn't changed too much in terms of the problem we're trying to solve, which is figuring out how to build high quality, high scalable, uh, highly scalable, and efficiently scalable uh, high definition maps for autonomous vehicle use. Um, you know, a few years ago, it became apparent that that was and was going to continue to be a big um, kind of important part of the the av stack and uh, an unsolved problem and and just kind of the next generation of mapping generally and so that's that's what we started out with and that's continues to be our you know our north star and kind of drives our strategy and product development but i think in terms of some of the other things that we do which we can get into you know we've kind of learned over the years for example what other types of usefulness um The data that you use to build those maps can have and what scenarios uh, these maps will be useful for first and and all those kinds of things. But
0: yeah, I would think, you know, there are other applications of it. For example, like if you look at what MIT Media Lab does with their simulation technology and you're mapping out whole cities, I think that's actually a really interesting potential use case. But one thing I wanted to ask you about was that You know, when I think autonomous vehicles, I actually assume that most people will be building their own stack in-house. So, you know, talk to me about if you were concerned about that at all, because right now it's, it feels like everyone and their mother is making an autonomous vehicle. I think like even Dyson is now. So it's a pretty exciting time. But when you guys were first starting out, was that ever a concern?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, you know, that's that's sort of the natural question is why when an AV company uh, just do this themselves. And so the answer, the short answer to that is there are a handful who've invested, you know, quite a bit and and are fairly committed to building um, maps at scale, but they are definitely in the minority, it seems. uh, And that's become even more important in the past few months. Going back four or five years, um, you know, the incumbent mapping company, Companies in automotive like here in Tom, Tom, started to talk about these maps. And then you know, Google was the first one to really show exactly how they started to build these maps and you know, not in view. But you know, when I was talking to people who were starting companies in the space back then, it was clear that if these maps had been created anywhere, they were completely closed and proprietary. And, mm-hmm. you know, the others who kind of were talking about them were is really just more you know, talking about them conceptually as opposed to having any at-scale or production-level offering. And um, and honestly, that's a lot of that actually hasn't changed. Now, now, I will say what has changed is there are definitely more entrants in the space, more understanding about the need for them and everything. But it was clear that these things are hard to do in addition to all the other pieces of the stack of AV. Yeah. And there's only really a few companies in the world who are willing to really own that piece of it you know the majority of traditional car companies and the less traditional you know mobility companies or while sometimes they'll they'll do their own mapping you know in early days or in R&D Types of scenarios, most have been looking around for solutions for, you know, kind of scaling that or, mm-hmm. you know, going past like a basic, say, static map.
0: I'd love to know more about how you actually, you know, you It talked about now it's been a few years, you said, what, four years ago, five years ago is when you guys first started you know, you were at a company called Discus before that, but why did you, you know, feel the urge to leave to start Carmera? Discussing my,
1: you know, my previous world in digital media, Disney and some other places. I think a lot of the people, my kind of vintage, um, who were excited about, you know, what the internet was doing and just technology and computing in general was doing to everything, got excited about media first, because that's Mm -hmm. one of the first industries that, you know, completely got revolutionized. So it was pretty natural to be involved in that in the time you know in the time period that I was you know roughly like the mid two thousands through the mid part of this decade. So you know I I think though like having spent a decade ten years in that industry you know to be honest I mean I think there's still interesting things happening in digital media and all that, but it 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 started to feel like things were starting to like become a little bit more incremental in nature. And actually, my academic background is in civil engineering. Operations research, transportation, that kind of field. So, you know, this is back in the in the '90s. Actually, I was working on um, things like personal rapid transit, which is a, a concept of autonomous mobility that's like 50 years old or something like that. And um, you know, it was a, it's made very different assumptions than what the reality is coming today, but. But actually, overall, it was actually a pretty prescient view of how people in the future may be getting around. And so, you know, even back, like I said, in in, in the late '90s, it, it was very interesting to me. But you know, things like Moore's law and and all kinds of you know other things had not been uh, had not really taken effect yet for it to be be a reality. And then you know, mm-hmm. when I was when I was at discuss and kind of knew I wanted to to leave after six years there and, and do something different, all of a sudden the world had changed and this stuff that we were you know researching. 15 years before was actually becoming reality so in that also and also combined with the fact that there was a big data element and sort of an emerging data markets piece to what we did to discuss and i think you know the the actual underlying technology and infrastructure to make massive amounts of data useful and and deliverable in real time had actually taken root and so i i I got a front row seat In terms of the social data ecosystem, so we were close to, for example, the Twitter team and the Firehose team there. That they bought a company that a relationship with, and was very close to as well. So that was also pretty inspiring in some ways to want to start a data company uh, after Mm -hmm. Discuss.
0: So, how has it been growing a startup in New York City? Were you ever based in the Bay? I think I saw that Discuss was in both the Bay, and but you were the first New York employee.
1: Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know for us, it's it's actually pretty unusual. Very unusual in in the fact that I think, as far as we know, we're still really the only autonomous vehicle technology truly focused on autonomous vehicle tech based in New York City. Right. And there's a few reasons for that. And 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 I will say, by the way, we're not. We also have a West Coast office in Seattle. uh, You know, partly for talent reasons and other reasons. But but we did make a deliberate decision to do it here, even though there's Mm -hmm. you know there's some sort of trade-offs. One is from a business model perspective. You know, we do have a thesis and kind of a an approach that where we think that the the data that we are you know making into these maps is also useful for other purposes and th- that actually those other uses tend to tend to often be very you know sort of symbiotic in, in some ways to um, serving autonomous mobility stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know specifically like built environment uses of 3D data or um, street level analytics, New York. There's really no better place to test those uh, types of uses than New York. It's like a GDP wise and you know population wise, at least for the tri-state area, it's like a small country. So, um, so that one that was one thing that was attractive. Second, um, just from a personal standpoint, myself, my uh, co-founder Justin, he was a CTO of MakerBot. All our first engineers came from MakerBot, New York company. So, you know, just personally, we. Well, naturally wanted to stay here where we're kind of rooted, have a strong networks. And then related to that, you know, talent wise, it's just, it's been very beneficial overall for us to start this company here because there's just, there's, there's absolutely world-class talent here on both on the Mm -hmm. hardware, engineering, machine learning, computer vision, all of those fields. Uh, And even more so than when I joined, you know, Discuss as the first New York employee, because they they made a big investment. In New York, in terms of um, you know some of the universities and and the kind of talent pipelines into them, and um, so that was also attractive to us. You know, especially like being out of the crazy commotion of the Bay Area, yet still not having to sacrifice on just you know chops and raw raw you know experience and talent. And um, and then the the other thing is actually uh, also is also beneficial because for for us, one of our focus areas as a autonomous vehicle mapping company is to build those maps and also deploy vehicles using those maps in sort of dense or, or more com- complex environments, you know, so it's one thing to map or, you know, do um, deployments in you know Arizona or parts of California uh, where, you know, weather's always perfect and, you know, buildings aren't more than a few stories high, that kind of thing. But doing those things in a place like New York city is just, it's a whole other ball game. Um, so You've all just have to contend with things that you you simply don't in those areas, and there, mm-hmm. while you can simulate some of them, it's there's nothing like actually you know doing them in practice in real conditions. So that was also something that you know, our approach is like we we really like kind of focusing on some of the harder parts first. Also, like once you are able to prove out, you know, for example, dealing with urban canyon issues for localization or um, some of the other things we have to deal with, it's, I wouldn't say trivial, but it's it's a hell of a lot easier than to go and expand to, say, suburban or or other types of environments.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. I like that you're, you know, going full on instead of, full on into the fire, so to speak, instead of, you know, waiting later to tackle a city such as New York, which is, Sounds like it's quite the beast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but no, but that said, like, it's going to be a while. Till we see autonomous vehicles going around Manhattan at any at any type of scale so you know we've at the same time even, even despite having said all I've said about the benefits of being in New York as I mentioned you know we've started Seattle office we actually have mm-hmm. um, some other operations both in the Midwest and now um, something's happening internationally that hopefully we'll, we'll be able to announce soon it's not like we're solely focused on on this one region but but for all the reasons I gave it, it actually has been beneficial to us
0: no great thanks for providing that color And so are you from New York originally? Where did you grow up?
1: I actually was born in India, in Calcutta, Mm. India, uh, and moved to the States when I was five or so and uh, grew up in uh, mostly in the Philadelphia suburbs. So yeah, East Coaster.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So many people I keep interviewing back to back say they came to America or Canada at the age of five around then. (laughs) So it's an interesting trend I'm noticing. But what did your parents do for a living?
1: My father, uh, so it's interesting. Like I'll, I'll answer that question even more broadly because you know i think my mother's and father's sides are pretty different in a way where my mother's family actually a lot of them are like you know more humanities types like teachers and lawyers and you know work in publishing and that kind of thing and they're bengalis which is if you know the stereotypes of different indian uh, <laughs> ethnic groups uh, that's actually pretty typical a lot of artists and you know literature types uh, come from bengal and then my father is from the north uh, from a place they call up with but he and a lot of his his family, they are definitely you know there's a lot there's definitely a very entrepreneurial gene there. He's an entrepreneur. He's uh, he actually lives in Texas now, but you know, he started his own business and sort of in the industrial space of you know, exporting, importing kind of things. His brother and brother-in-law started one of the very first outsourcing types of companies where I, I believe their their early business was like digitizing law journals or something like that. And so yeah, and then my my cousin actually started one of the the biggest PPO companies that IBM bought you know, it was crazy. I was hearing, I remember hearing the numbers. They went from like, you know, 10 employees one month and then six months later, they were at like 5,000 or something like that, you know, because, wow. and then, yeah, they had a very successful exit and, and then my brother, my other cousin, etc. So it's been actually a really nice mix of genes in a way, because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there's both a lot of, Sort of techie entrepreneurial spirit, but also a lot of like kind of humanities and left brain type of you know, genes in there, too. So, um, yeah. so yeah, and uh, they were actually at a company that was, I think, importing uh, industrial products from India to the States, and that company decided to set up an office, I think, in, in the Philadelphia area. So that's why they
0: moved. It's mm, really interesting. I love that you say, you know, that you have both sides of that, and you can even see that in your background. You were a civil engineer and then you got your MBA. Feels like and, it's yeah, uh, and, very yeah, and also... In- <laughs> (laughs)
1: an engineer at princeton which you know although it actually is great engineering schools you you, most people think about princeton as more kind of a liberal arts school and actually Mm -hmm. that's something that i really liked about that because while i'm a overall you know kind of more interested was more interested in maths and sciences in terms of studying you know i didn't necessarily want to go just to a technical school i I really liked the fact that you know i could have kind of a liberal art space and still prepare yourself occasionally for what you actually wanted to do.
0: So when you were younger though, do you ever consider entrepreneurship as a career or you just didn't really think about it because you were so, you know, it was kind of immersed around you.
1: You know, it's funny having, even the fact that I said all that about, you know, having some entrepreneurship run in the family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I myself was an immigrant. So not, not, not just like my parents where I was actually, you know, on the plane over. And I remember, you know, we very much have that immigrant survivor mentality Um, where, you know, you're just kind of like grateful for the opportunities. You don't want to screw it up. You don't want to be irresponsible. And so I, I was actually pretty risk averse in, in, in many ways right up through right up after my undergrad the few years after that my last year of college it was I graduated in 2000 so it was a really interesting time to graduate because like you know we graduated in I think I guess it would have been June of 2000 and you know the NASDAQ could just tank like a month or two before um, yet there were still some dregs of it and actually my first job which was not a tech job or a startup job at all it was a management consulting job because um, you know I, I basically took it because I was like you know I got a bunch of Debt. It's a great job. Work. Get to work with big companies and CEO suites that you know no twenty one year old would otherwise have the business to have contact with. So I took it. But I I asked to be in the San Francisco office. I had started to get interested in you know this first wave of the internet and all the you know activity happening. And in fact, I did a little internship that summer before I started my full time job at an internet radio company. You know I was intrigued and interested, but I was honestly. I felt like starting a company, let alone starting one myself, was just like felt almost irresponsible while I still had <laughs> debt, college debt. And you know, mm-hmm. I had to think, think about like living within my means and all that. And I think uh, a combination of both my own maturation, but also honestly, the the startup Ecosystem evolving so that you yeah. could take risks a lot earlier, and there's you know s- seed money and and decent salaries where you could at least pay the bills and all that definitely changed things. So well, I feel um, like then
0: the big le- the leap for you was going from Disney. Yeah.
1: Discuss, yeah, yeah, so, um, discuss.
0: I, I'm I'm like keep mispronouncing that. I want to uh, say discuss. discuss uh, you sorry. and
1: everybody else. It was a, Yeah, it was <laughs> always actually most people thought thought of those discus so yeah
0: sorry about that but so then why then because you know you're at disney and i have this theory actually that you know i actually think immig- being an immigrant is like the original version of being an entrepreneur you're recreating your whole life and it's such a risk to leave everything you know dear and for you you know it wasn't your decision but still it's like maybe then that instills in you the fact that like things are going to be okay even if you take a big risk um and i think you're right with that survivor mentality it's a lot of work ethic i know. Even in my family, like we're a second generation immigrant, but it's, it was ingrained in us to work so hard and like, you know, keep Mm -hmm. your head down. But I actually think like my brother and I are both in the startup world. He's a CEO and I'm doing the venture side, but it's more like, and I was an operator before it was more like hard work. And I think that hustle to do whatever it takes when you're an early stage startup, you have to do a lot of shit that no one wants to do. Yeah. So, but it's not, you know, it's like, well, okay, but I want my goal and I know I have to do all that shit I don't want to do to get to my goal. So, you know, I'm going to do it and suck it up and do it. There's no other choice.
1: Yeah. No, that's, I think for for me, you're right. It was, you know, when I was at Disney is when I actually made the jump and you know, I think um, I, I joined Disney just because I, I was grateful but tired of professional services. I'd learned a lot. And I, but I was, you know, like I said, back then media was the first thing that was just completely getting turned upside down. And and so I joined the digital media group there. And it was great. It was fascinating. You know, you got to learn a ton about technology and you see st- you know, you basically see startups every single day pitching you yet you are, you know, you have, um, this backing of this enormous company that everyone returns your calls. So it was, uh, you know, it was a good experience basically within a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty clear to me that I I was, would rather be on the other side of the table, (laughs) you know, in terms of like startups pitching us at Disney, I was like, yeah, I don't know. This, this kind of sounds like it's, it's more fun and more, it'd be more stimulating. Um, to be on the other side. And um, I think also my my background, the kind of knowledge and, and network I built up in media was really useful for a lot of those Web 2.0 startups. Mm-hmm. Um, that were starting to pop up in the mid 2000s. And um, so it was, uh, and and New York was actually an area where, you know, a number of interesting ones were were popping up. And so even even though I actually ended up joining Discuss, which was based in San Francisco, the lead VC at the time was Union Square Ventures. And, you know, they had an interesting portfolio and, you know, some other VCs around town also did. So, so one thing led to another and that's, you know, just decided and made total sense to, to embrace that side of the equation. And then, had a good run with an early stage startup, but you know, there's also a lot of some of my own ideas and also um, Mm -hmm. some of of my own biases in terms of decision making. And I, you know, I think uh, this particular idea is one that I can't shake out of my brain. And um, it's when we pulled the trigger and started the company.
0: I think that's really interesting. I, I also find though, you know, I'm curious what the biggest surprise is, even though you were early at discuss from being early and operating under someone else to starting your own company. Was there anything that was like you thought of that said, wow, I, I actually totally misinterpreted this. It's not <laughs> at all like what I was expecting.
1: Yeah, it is. You're right. It is different. Like, I think I was, I was like maybe number five at this and I was the first kind of like, you know, business hire. So, Um, so Mm -hmm. I, and actually, so I did, I did deal with a lot of almost like everything besides like, I don't know, DevOps or something. That said, I think to answer your question, the biggest difference between being either an early or a team member or, or on the, you know, executive team of a startup versus doing, one of your own, especially, you know, if you are to taking the CEO role is just like really, truly having the buck stop with you, you know, like mm-hmm. I discuss as much as my autonomy and ownership I had over different things, you know, ultimately, it's still like. Daniel, uh, CEO there, you know, he's got to be the one who makes a decision on, on where we steer the ship. So, yeah. you know, I think that and and related to that, you know, it's, it's actually interesting. Uh, this quote that Elon Musk tweeted about uh, someone had asked him, what's it like being startup founder or something like that or entrepreneur? And he said something about, you know, amazing highs, like heart depressed depressing lows and then and you know those you kind of expect everyone says it's a roller coaster which it is and you know I, I even felt some of that from you know discuss it's and it, that can change week to week but the thing that he ended his tweet with was unrelenting stress <laughs> um, yeah and that is like when the buck truly stops with you um and it could be like stress from a good place like something good is happening actually But it's like raising money
0: is stressful. Even when you close, it's now like we've raised all this capital. It's time to put it to work.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly. And it's just one thing, even success compounds on success and just raises the stakes and expectations. So, and and again, like that's, I think the, the unrelenting piece of it, that word is, was just like hit home for me so much because it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a new normal that I kind of, I just had to get used to. And by the way, this, you know, we, I brilliantly planned all of this around having my, you know, our second kid and you know <laughs> a lot of other kind of personal life changes, again, mostly very positive, but you know. All having at this happening at the same time. That I just don't think I ever appreciated the weight of all that. And um, you know, as, as they say though, oftentimes it's actually good to be naive about it because you would otherwise never sign up for it.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Especially uh, yeah, a I think that's uh I mean maybe not on the second kid, the first kid and the and the startup at the same time. I think uh, everyone, everyone, my friends who now has the baby is like, wow, I did not think this was going to be as hard as it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have to be more efficient because you have such less time. And I think you're, you probably have to say no a lot more, but it becomes easier because you just can't, you didn't have all these responsibilities. It's probably more time to mull things over, but at the same time, now you have to be more like, all right, we have to get going. Uh, just say no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I
1: think like you basically just have to focus on its family and, and Carmera. Like I Mm -hmm. can't do that fun pickup basketball league anymore. And some of the Mm -hmm. other junk I wasted my, or or spent my time on. And that's, that's fine.
0: Yeah. And so we're going to end with some fun questions. So what is another New York startup that you really love?
1: Another New York startup that I love. Okay, well, that's there's actually a bunch of them. But you know what, I'm going to plug one company that we actually use their tech and we share a space with them. Oh, great. Awesome. you know, it's, I, I would say it's a real endorsement because we actually rely on them. Um, a company called PaperSpace. They um, you know, they do virtual machines generally. Like, uh, I think they call themselves your full computer in the cloud is the tagline. But for us specifically, um, you know, a lot of our tech is based on being able to really processing heavy types of, you know, data um, analysis, So I mean, specifically computer vision and, um, you know, deep learning-based uh, vision. And um, yeah. so... Being able to take advantage of GPUs, but in a you know in a virtual kind of cloud solution, has been a real. It's just been really nice, and especially having that company literally you know thirty feet from my desk um, has been awesome. You know, so you bother many, them
0: with are bugs?
1: We well, we bother each other because you know they're also I think kind of realize that this is an, an incredibly sort of hot space, and it's I think we have a good feed, feedback loop going. But um, but yeah, they're they're one that I think is solving a real purpose and. They're able to do it without having to be Amazon Web Services. You know, they're able to like serve real companies like ours at, you know with like massive amounts of data to be processed efficiently. So, so there's there's one. I, don't know, I could great. I could go on, but yeah.
0: No, no, that's that's great. And then if you could interview one other founder. Who
1: would you most want to interview and why? There's not honestly that many like icons, so to speak, that i I like completely fall over myself for, you know, like I have respect for any anybody who's done amazing things, but they're the one that I have to say I am you know pretty fanboyish about is Elon, as I mentioned yeah, um, yeah. the thing is interviewing him, I don't know he's he's actually you know he'll he'll respond to you on Twitter probably if you really want to talk to him, so maybe that's that's probably. I don't know if I would use my uh, my interview on him and he's been interviewed mm. ad nauseum. One person actually related to uh, Mr. Musk is his, his associate who runs uh, SpaceX, Gwynne Shotwell. You know, it's one thing to have like this brilliant, like once in a generation person, like, like Elon Musk, you know, come up with the vision and, you know, and also, you know, he is pretty involved in the actual designing of the technology and, and everything, but like, you know, actually operationalizing this and figuring out, you know, how to bridge the gap between today and actually like their, their long-term ambition of, of getting to Mars um, and like this elegant kind of roadmap and, and commercially viable way to do that. And then like just literally keeping all the lights on and, you know, like mm-hmm. just sh- surviving through all the failed launches and all that. I just like have incredible amounts of respect and especially f- for someone like her because she's seems to be pretty understated. She just seems to like really relish in the, you know, operator, like the pure operator side, you know, getting things done, shepherding the company through. So, um, and, and I think part of the reason why she maybe doesn't seek the spotlight is why I think she would be an intriguing interview. So.
0: No, oh, that's a great answer. Well, thanks for being on my show today. I'm
1: Thanks so much for having that's great.
0: me. Thanks so much. That's a wrap on episode 49. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders because you don't want to miss one of the final few episodes. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for episode 50.